Well, good morning, church. We're finishing up Revelation, the Coronation of the King series this morning. And as you turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, we're going to look at the victorious king. If there was ever a sermon that I was going to preach with anticipation and with great crescendo, this is it. We've been 10 weeks going through the book of Revelation and have tried to illustrate that the book of Revelation is all about the revealing of whom? Revelation 1.1. This is the book, the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. The whole book has been about revealing him. And if there was any anticipation about the end of Revelation, today is the day. And I am, want to jump straight to the conclusion and celebrate, but we got to get there. And my clicker's not working. What are some of the things that you anticipate? Now, as I was sitting here thinking about this during the week, and I was like, what slide, what thing should I put in this slide? Now, Terry, Yvonne, you guys got to retire, right? Then you went back to work. I'm closer to 50 than I am 40. And I just talked to somebody the other day who went back to work for the state of Florida and like, I only got 12 years to go and I can retire. And I started doing the math. Well, I've been shorter than that. The state of Ohio would have been my golden handcuffs and stayed until retirement. And you just work every week to punch the clock and make it to retirement. How many have been there through life and said, all I got to do is 25, 35, or I got 10, 15, and five, next thing you're retired. And that's what you do. Your coworkers are looking for that. And I had to think of Miss Jessie. <laughs> I bet you she'd be excited when there's no more diapers. <laughs> right. And then I immediately thought of Deb, who my wonderful wife had raised five boys and a girl, and there was a ton of diapers. And where they are spread across the world, if she could just change a diaper again to get them back into the house and have the grandbabies back in there to be like, oh boy, I get to change a diaper, which I've said never. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, Raven, Hannah, anticipation of graduation or driver's license, right? Because you're counting down. Are you driving yet, Raven? I'm sure you can, because I'm sure Tommy has put you beside that really cool side-by-side -side you guys got that's a blaster drive. I can remember being then. 14, two more years I can drive. Then you turn 16, and what are you waiting on then? 18. All right, let's be honest. When you turn 18, what were you waiting for next? Huh? 21. How many of you can remember your 21st birthday? Don't raise hands because you probably can't. <laughs> we live in this state of constant anticipation. Wherever we are in our life cycle, we got a way of being hooked on the next, to be anticipating something that will be better. Man, if I just put in two more years of loving Debbie Wright, everything's going to turn out good and our marriage is going to be great. If I just love these teenagers, do refuse to kill them, which they obviously deserve at times, and we just get them out of high school, they grow up and they go on their own, everything will be great. No, then they call and say, I need help with my mortgage payment instead of just lunch money. 
We hoodwink ourselves into thinking these great anticipations that we have will somehow be fulfilled when we flip the calendar enough times. Are they valid? Yeah, I really do want to see the anticipation of Grace Church of Ocala making disciples who make disciples. I look for that, to mature. To somebody to own their faith and say, I love you, Jesus, and I'm going to tell other people about them. I look forward to that. Michael, my clicker's not working. So this morning, we look at the anticipation of the king's arrival. All of that build-up history. Quite frankly, we don't share it with the Jews a lot, but we've read from 2 Samuel this morning, which was the promise of the king to David, which Jesus fulfills today. We look at the anticipation as a church body, which when we get together once a quarter, we celebrate the future ministry of Jesus for us as a church when we get to party. There's so much wrapped up in today that hopefully, yeah, we did bring lunch. We can go long. But we're anticipating the king's arrival. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. We'll start in verse 6. Page 879 in your story Bible. And John writes, Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready, and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Stop there. The king and his bride. How many of you through this series have said, where in the world's the church? You're talking about these people on earth. And you raise your hand, you two. You did last two weeks ago. Don't sit there like, I don't interact with this guy. Here's where they are. They're in heaven. Last week we had the fall of Babylon, and the, and the heavens rejoice over the fall of Babylon. Then John hears a party start. It's the wedding party. It's the reception party. And we read out of Ephesians, we read out of Titus this morning, that Jesus, the groom, has wooed us, the church, and he calls us his bride. Now, in our weddings in America, who presents the bride typically? The Father. Who presents the church to Jesus? Jesus himself, because he's the one in Ephesians 5 that has washed her, he's cleansed her, he's spent time with her. And Titus tells us he sent the Holy Spirit to get her ready. Yes, we wait with anticipation of when we, guys, will be married to Jesus. And there's an actual marriage supper of the Lamb that happens right here in your text that we will celebrate next week, next month as a local church. I invite you to that. 
but with great anticipation. The church has been in heaven for the last biggest duration of Revelation, and she's watched all this happen. And Jesus turns his attentions as the reigning king and says, where's my bride? Get her. And she's like, we're ready. He invites her in. She's been washed by his blood. He has tenderly cared for her. Get this. You being here this morning, part of the flock here, who is tenderly taking care of you? Jesus is. Pastors Michael, Ryan, and I are under shepherds. We are his groomsmen trying to help get the wrinkles out while we're doing our own. With great anticipation, we say, Jesus, when is this all going to be done as a church? When do we get to party with you like you've promised? Ba-boom, right here. He's prepared us. And look, look at your Bibles. To verse 9 of chapter 19. Blessed are those who are invited. Blessed are those who are invited. Anybody here been to a good, awesome wedding that you're like, man, you should have gone to that even if you didn't know them? Right. This is the heavenly wedding ceremony, and we get to hand out invitations this week. There's a wedding party coming. You, are, can, you only get there by receiving this invitation. They're sent out. And the Scripture says, blessed are those who are invited to this. I invite you, if you don't know Jesus this morning, accept the invitation. There will come a time when the God that has been revealed in Revelation would say, stop. No more invitations set out. This is an exclusive party. Blessed are those who are invited Blessed are those who also do the inviting because Jesus will commission us at the end of this service to go and do some inviting. So the warrior king now will appear after his wedding reception with us. Move to Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. So John leaves the wedding, oversees the, can see the wedding reception going off. And then he sees this. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So our groom has a wedding party with us and says, wait a second, it's been good partying with you all, I'll be right back. Gets his white horse, and he says, I'm going out to make war and judgment. Heaven opens up, and John sees this. There's a king ready to make war and to judge. And catch his names right here. Faithful and true. Word of God. There's a name that only he knows. And I love this. On his robe and on his thighs is king of kings, lord of lords. 
and he's escorted by the angel's army who are also seated on white horses. Just picture it for a second. You're going through Revelation. You've lived through this time, and you get to see the warrior king coming. And you look up, and here he is coming like this. And does he describe it the way you would think. He's got eyes of fire. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's got a robe dipped in blood. This is not a milk toast, Jesus. No, not at all. And when he comes, he's got this weapon coming out of his mouth that is just a sword. Spoiler alert, guess how he kills everybody? Says it. There's no battle whatsoever. He just says it and they're dead. But why are they so excited to look up and see their king coming? 2 Samuel. The Jews have been waiting on this promise to come true. God keeps his word. Whatever the last week has been like for us, is it true that God is true? That God is going to keep his word? Sometimes we doubt it. And Dear Lord, help my unbelief. But how long have the Jews been waiting since David to see their king come? Today? Or still waiting? It will happen. And God keeps his word. And when he comes, there's another angel who says, hey, all you birds, get ready for the great buffet. We've gone from a wedding feast in heaven to the great supper of God, which is to feed vultures. Because when Jesus comes to battle them, he talks, they die. Who eats it? The vultures. A battle ensues. Our warrior king comes. The warrior king does battle. He takes the antichrist and the false prophet, takes them alive, and throws them in the lake of fire. The rest of those who had worshipped anything else but Jesus just die. He says it, and they die. So we've had the, our king, our wedding party. The king appears. They recognize the king of the promise with David. He comes down and does war. So how does he rule on earth? Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he may not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So the warrior king has a wedding reception with us. The warrior king appears to Israel. He comes down, wins the war, and he sets up his rule for a thousand years. 
the promise comes true to Israel. Literally, Jesus will reign. And we know from other scriptures where he will reign in Jerusalem and where he will literally land and how he will rule. God's word literally comes true. Now, Satan is bound, chained up, and thrown into a pit for a thousand years prison sentence. After he's bound up, thrones are set up. And they're given the authority to judge. These are the people who died during the tribulation for sharing Jesus. This is the good part. Where serving Jesus when times are rough, even if it costs you your life, he will justly reward you. This is going to happen someday in the future. There will be people that will have to decide, do I worship him or do I eat? Do I worship him or take this number? Do I worship him and go into my community or do I die? It's pretty binary. We worry about raises, upsetting the neighbors, and getting junk mail. These are the people that have walked through this hard time and had to make these really tough decisions that will cost them their life. And then at this time, Jesus says, come back to life, I'll give you a throne, and you get to reign with me. Yes! They're raised from the dead, and they get to reign with Jesus, and they get to act as ambassadors for Jesus. For how long? It's in your text. Pop quiz. Thousand years. And where's Satan for this time? He's bound up. He's gone. The king says, I rule this world. I will come back and rule this world. I will have the authority to bind him up. But it's not the end of the story. It's not the last battle. For we know that after a thousand years, Satan is released. It's been a world in which we could literally go to Jerusalem and knock on the door and say, can I have an appointment with Jesus? I want to see the tattoos. Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Is that in Hebrew? Is that in English? I just want to check this out. He will exist. People get to watch him. Israel gets to be with their king for a thousand years, and Satan is bound up. Can't be doing the Satan stuff. So when Satan is released... Do you think it's a hard or an easy job for him to recruit people to battle that king one more time? Because we would think, hey, this week i got to make a decision. Do I take this job? Do I do this? If I just had Jesus to go see, I would believe him and follow him. I don't like praying to somebody I don't see and don't know. How many of you kind of said that but wouldn't say it out loud in church? Well, here's the picture. Jesus has been with them for a thousand years. Satan has been bound up. He can't be doing Satan stuff. And he releases him. How many people join up to forces to join Satan? The text says like the sand of the sea. People left to themselves without being fully redeemed and taking Jesus saying, I will rule on earth to make my promises to Israel. But still, you got a heart issue. Even with me right here, Satan, when he is released, will gather a, a team, a people, an army that is like the sands of the sea. Because how many of you hear the phrase, well, Satan's up at his work again? 
Satan's trying to get a, something in there. and There's no Satan for a thousand years. Jesus is on the earth, and the outcome is one more battle. So let's read about that battle. Verse 7 of chapter 20. And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and there will be tormented day and night forever and ever. How does the last battle end? Thousands and thousands of people have surrounded Jerusalem. Jesus is the king. God sends down fire, burns him up. What a mighty king we serve. Right now, who says, hey, I'm ruling now. I'm waiting to make my return to get you all, and I will start this, uh, revealing myself to the earth. He reveals himself on and on and on. It gets worship in heaven, but on earth people refuse. And those who do worship him get killed. Then he shows up and does a thousand-year reign. And at the end of that, there's still myriads of people who still want to fight him. Anticlimactic again. Fire, burn him up. But Satan is now, what happens that's different with Satan this time? Yeah, he gets, he gets cast into the lake of fire. He joins his unholy trinity, the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they're tormented for how long? Forever. Is God fair? He is here, right? But we're going to say that tomorrow at 2.30 when our car has a flat. But that evil person at work slandered me, put dope in my lunchbox, and now I got fired. Is God fair? When does the king finally make everything fair? I'm glad you asked. We're getting ready to get to that. Verse 11 through 15 of Revelation 20, the king's last judgment. Starting in verse 11 of chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found and written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. All the dead are brought before the king and his great white throne. Books are opened and the dead are judged by what's in them. You ever have that person? You've been around and they get away with everything and come out smelling like a rose. Oh, really? 
I've been showing up to work every week, every time, on time. I haven't done none of that. This person calls in sick all the time. They get promoted. I'm like, God, for real? Didn't you see, God, what they're doing behind my back? Don't you see, God, what they're saying about me? I've thought this stuff many times. Who's keeping record of every one of those for the right reasons? Who's to tell us, I got this, don't you worry about it? Who's got it? Jesus has got it. Is he keeping a ledger? Yeah, it says so right here in the text. I'd love to see the size of this chicken. What's a hard drive to hold that thing? All the deeds of everybody. And so the king wins the final battle. And he says, now it's time for the final judgment. People will get what they deserve. It's fair. It's mitigated. How extreme is every person's punishment who is not found in the book of life? This is categorically, uh, I don't want to quote Kant. That wouldn't go very well. The categorical imperative. It is binary. It is either your name's in the book or it isn't. So we have the neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, but they're a pretty decent person. They've only blown leaves onto our yard for two, two of the last 25 years. But if their name is not in the book, where do they end up? Look at your text. Work with me here. The lake of fire. God, are you fair? Jesus, are you fair? Well, back the bus up. He said, I invited you to the wedding. I invited you to a relationship with me. And if you do not accept that, I will hold you accountable. Now, there must be different ways in which Jesus mitigates his justice for those who go in the lake of fire. The text doesn't give us express details on what that is. But I know that if your name is not in the book, you end up in the lake of fire. But if your name is in the book, what about you? Other scriptures teach this. Jesus is watching. He is keeping record. He is seeing your faithful service when people are watching, when they aren't watching, when you're interacting with people for him with the purity of your heart or maybe without. When does he say, here are your just rewards? The king gets to do that too. No one is exempt The king has shown us a wedding. The king has shown himself to his people Israel. He set up his kingdom. He's had the last battle. Now is the last judgment. And now what? Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the, city was no, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The king gets to dwell with us. We get to dwell with the king. 
Yes, I, I, I'm not a fan of funerals. Don't hear me wrong. But what do you hear at funerals all the time? Well, they're not going to suffer anymore. At least they don't have cancer. At least they don't have to worry about their joint replacements or blah, 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 blah. What is the cool thing about heaven as the text starts out? What's the big deal of heaven? Is it the lack of not being able to hear, smell, taste? What's the big deal? What does the world scream out as God announces that he is going to what? What's he going to do? What's he been crying out since we started reading in Deuteronomy? I promise I'm going to rescue you and I want to what with you? I want to live with you. Israel, I'm going to rescue you when you don't even know me. Then we're going to build this tabernacle. And when I show up, I'm going to say, I want to live with you. This is a continuation of this story. God says, hey, everything is going to be new. I will give you a new residence. I want to dwell with you. This is the greatest anticipation on the face of the earth. And I, this last week, somebody pointed out to me, are you anticipating the church being 250 people? I'm like, yeah. He said, is your standards too high? I said, what are you talking about? I want to do what God wants to do. He says, go make disciples. He said, when does that come all to be true? Here. The church will love Jesus and get along and sing right, which I can. I can't sing at all. They will love each other. They will get along. They will be able to hang out with each other for eternity because they say, when a king lives with us, our anticipations are like, my kids are good. I'm going to graduate. I want to do all this. But the greatest anticipation is that unfettered access with the king. What do we set aside in our temporary minds that are good things and forget the greatest? And the book ends, the Bible ends with this. He's been saying this since the beginning. The greatest anticipation is me being with your hind end. You person, here's how to have a relationship with me. I love you. And I'm promising to come back to make this true. Is it real? Do we live like it? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. What is your great expectation? What is your great anticipation? And I have to say one more time, this anticipated citizenship, who gets in? Who gets to live with God for eternity? Everybody? We have a responsibility to communicate the citizenship that is available to, to join with a king who will someday reveal himself as he is described. He will 
Grant those citizenships true life, true vitality, nourishment that literally flows from his throne room. And he says, one more thing. As I go into a stage three sweat by now, the book isn't yet over. Revelation, move to chapter 22, verses 6 through 16. The camera pans back. The camera moves back in time. It picks up with John, and John gets this information from an angel. Picking up in verse 6, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and those who keep the words of the book. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer evil still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to pay, repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash the robes so that, they, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. In verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. What is he, Jesus saying? Whose camera stops. He showed John everything that's going to happen. <laughs> Done. He moves back to John. The angel says, hey, you better write this stuff down. And John worships the angel. Well, I could do a whole sermon on this. Talk about humor in the Bible. John has just seen Jesus, King Jesus revealed and makes the mistake of worshiping the angel. And the angel gets you, don't do that. Do you see what just happens when people don't worship Jesus? And Jesus has a couple drop the mic moments. Verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecies of the book. Who's that written to? Yes, ding, ding. Todd Partee gets a gold star. Blessed are those who send out the invitations, who invite people in. Blessed are those who keep the words that are written in here. What is Jesus saying? Good question. He's going to say it. Behold, I am coming soon in verse 12. The king will be revealed. He is coming soon. What will happen, because he said it will happen, will happen. Jesus, the king, is going to very soon reveal himself and be crowned the rightful ruler and judge. 
Verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you for these things, for the churches. I'm the king. Okay, so you're John. You're stuck on an island. You've just seen the wildest trip you've ever seen. The whole book. King Jesus revealed. You wake up from this, you're like, whoa. And the king says, what to you? Oh, just write that in your journal. Uh, a couple millennia from now, we'll get together and see how what I told you came out. What's he telling? John, write this down. Share this information. It's why we're here today talking about it. John just didn't say, hey, I got this. This is cool. I'm going to put it in my journal. He says, no, share this. I am coming soon as the king. And what does the spirit and the bride react? How, do, how does John, how do the churches should react? Pick up with me in verse 17 of chapter 22. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears the book of Revelation say what? And let the one who is thirsty but the one who desires to take of the water of life without price. What does he say? Come. I'm coming. And so what does, how's our response? Come. And so how does Jesus respond in verse 20? He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. The last book of your Bible has people saying, well, then come on. How many of us this last week sat there in hospitals? We sat there in situations. We saw the world gone wild. We've seen pedestrian walkways fall on people. And like, what? what, what is going on? People are dying left and right. What should we be saying? Come, Lord Jesus, make this right. You've got a new creation you promised to give. Come on. And so what is his response? Sure thing. I'm coming soon. Proclaim that good news. Good news is another word for gospel. And how, do we, how does the Bible define the term gospel? Death, burial, resurrection, and what? Promise return. That's our promise. If you've, been knelt at, if you've already have knelt at the foot of the cross and said, Jesus, you're the king. You've got this and you've got my sin. And then there's been years and you said, man, this world is jacked up. Don't forget that he's promised to come. That is good news for us. Even if tomorrow we die of a stroke, where will you be in heaven for these horrendous events? Up there doing the praise chorus thing, right? Then if you're like, hey, you, you go through the rapture and there's people on earth like, oh man, that is the king. I'm going to worship him and not the antichrist. What happens to them? Oh, beheaded, they're done. That's good news that Jesus is saying, I'm coming. I got you. 
It may take a lot longer than what we would order up at Burger King this afternoon. But proclaim that. That is good news. It is part of the package. Jesus said, I will make all things new, even me, even Grace Church of Ocala. Our relationships, all the pain, the kids that are sick. Proclaim the good news that the king is coming. We'll step back in time next week and say, hey, the king came, he died for you. For your sins. And we got these really cool Easter egg things. 15-gallon ones. Inside's an invitation. And what's the message going to be? Come. And what's the ultimate answer to the question of come? Yeah, he's coming soon. I want you to be with the citizenship of the people in glory with Jesus. Then until then, we got a group of people who are kind of weird that want to do a life with you during the process because we got to wait. But in here, everybody take one of these bad boys today. Yeah, take yeah, these. Could you read the first line? You're invited. Whoa, where have we heard that? I mean, this isn't part of the sermon. This is working out good. What did you, what, blessed are those who are what to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Invited. Who gives the hand out the invitations? Yes, we do. The king of the universe who has all these angels has said, by the way, Sue, Todd, Carolyn, Joan, I'm going to use you as my mail delivery service to send out these invitations. Yeah, it's an invitation to an Easter egg hunt that'll be a Saturday the 24th. You're gonna get more information on this about lunch. But what I'm saying is, this is part of being part of the family of Grace Church of Acala to proclaim the good news that Jesus is coming.